We know him from HBO's Silicon Valley. He's also the author of the memoir, How to American, An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. And now he's about to star in one of this summer's biggest movies. Jimmy O. Yang is my guest this week on Pop Culture Confidential. Hey, everybody. I'm Christina Yerling-Biro. Thank you so much for joining us here again on Pop Culture Confidential. We have so many great interviews coming up for you this season. I can't wait to share them with you. And I'm very excited about this. Journalist Alicia Lutz, she's written for The Hollywood Reporter, The Nerdist, MTV. She'll be joining us reoccurringly to give some updates and her perspective on what may be the week's top industry news scandals. Well, you name it. Alicia, I'm so thrilled to have you with me. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Our industry prognosticator. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So the movie everyone is talking about about this week, Crazy Rich Asians, which actually features um, one our guest this week. I was just reading someone say, now, this is not just a movie, this is a movement. Why is this movie so important? Well, it's kind of crazy to admit this, but it's been 25 years since a major motion picture in Hollywood has been fronted by an all-Asian cast. Um, uh, The last time it happened was with Joy Luck Club, which was back in 93, which is insane. And... um, you know, it's it's really showing this great turn, I think, in what is a slow creep towards wider representation and diversification. And really, in a lot of ways, a lot of what is happening here is proving to the old businessmen at the top of Hollywood that make the decisions about what gets what money and, and when and how much, um, that it's worth giving money to stories that aren't necessarily fronted by generic handsome white man over here and (laughs) other famous lady over here you know like we can have stories told by all sorts of different people that share all sorts of different aspects of what it means to be a human that's alive and I think that that's such a net gain for Hollywood. Yeah, because this is a rom-com um, based on an incredible bestseller by Kevin Kwan, and the cast is just amazing. Everyone from yeah. Michelle Yeoh to a newcomer named Henry Golding who looks amazing, and it already has like 100% on, on Rotten Tomatoes. But you were mentioning that, that Hollywood hasn't been great at representation. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson was cast to play a trans man in a movie, and... Uh, true to form, it didn't go over well. I don't really know what Scarlett Johansson and her team are thinking. This is now the second time she's basically appropriated uh, a culture or an aspect of being human that she has no inkling of. um, What was the first time? Oh, Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell was the first instance of this and it didn't go over well and the movie really didn't do well and it, it that really, I think, especially marked a point in Hollywood where the consumers said very loudly, both with their words and with their dollars, we're not putting up with this. We're Mm -hmm. not putting up with white people telling other people's stories when it's not their story to tell. And I think it was a really powerful moment in a lot of ways. And I think that it really kind of shook Hollywood a little bit to be like, oh, we can't just put an ultra famous person in this role and expect it to do well and get heaps of critical praise because what we're doing is we're kind of 
whitewashing the narrative and and it's just you know this movie that she was originally attached to you know it was it was a story of a trans man and she, you know she's doesn't understand that experience she hasn't had that experience and when there are so many incredibly capable talented trans actors out there there's just no reason to do something like this and i think you see that a lot in the past year with stuff like Pose and with Supergirl casting a trans superhero, you know, like people and, you know, all of the amazing actually trans actors on Transparent, there is a whole wealth of resources. People just need to look. And I think that that's been a huge, for whatever reason, deterrent is this idea that it's hard to find these people but it's not hard. Mm-hmm. It, it's never been hard. It's just a matter of looking and doing the work. And yes, sometimes taking a risk on somebody who may not be, you may not have the credits that Scarlett Johansson has, but who's going to have the credits that Scarlett Johansson has other than her? You know, you have to give people from otherized communities the opportunity to prove themselves and to show that they can do work, even if this is not, you know, quote unquote, what they've been doing their whole life, even if they haven't gotten all the roles. I suppose they're worried that the movie won't be as bankable with an unknown um, actor or trans actor compared to Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, but I think that we have seen throughout cinematic history that that's just a fallacy. There are tons and tons of movies that have come out starring, you know, young ingenues that no one's ever heard of, you know, first-time young kids put in roles to feel more authentic. You know, the cast, I, I will go, I'll go back to Pose again on TV, but, like, most of those women didn't necessarily act professionally or didn't have huge, you know, credits to their name. And it's still one of, it was one of the most successful and popular shows and critically acclaimed shows this year in the States. Mm -hmm. Well, we talk about a lot about um, themes of of representation Um, with this week's guest is it's Jimmy O. Yang. Are you a fan? Yes. He's so funny. I love Jimmy. I've heard amazing things about his book, which I actually really want to read. It's great. The book is called um, How to American, an Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. And it's really funny. It's about his um, immigrant experience, um, and it's also poignant. It's coming from Hong Kong at the age of 13 until he became a TV star and, and, and his experiences with that. You should definitely read that. Yeah, I will. I can't wait. I'm so excited for Crazy Rich Asians. I, It's just, it's got everything that I, I love. It's a romantic fantasy that's just full of outlandish opulence. Um, it just seems like it's going to be fun. It seems like it's going to be fun. It's going to be smart. And I just, I mean, Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh, I'm on mm. board immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Well, um, let's get into this week's interview. Thank you so much, Alicia. We will hear from you again next week. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And now, comedian, actor, and author Jimmy O. Yang. Jimmy, thanks so much for joining us. A real pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for having me. So are you all crazy promotion-like right now? Oh, it's been pretty crazy. Last week, uh, me, Kevin Kwan, and Gemma, we went on a press tour, and we hit three different cities. And yesterday, we actually did a stand-up show for Crazy Rich Asians with me, Ken Jeong, Nico Santos, and Ronnie Chang. So we're really ramping it up. And tonight's the premiere, actually. So it's been busy but fun, really fun. Well, I'd like to start a bit sort of halfway from the beginning. Um, you came to America from Hong Kong at age 13. What were you expecting? I, I, I mean, any 13-year-old that grew up in a foreign country, you expect America to be what you see from the films, you know. And growing up 
we watched Schwarzenegger, you know, and then we watched like Rambo, Rocky, all that, all that stuff. So you just, you expect, yeah, I, I guess celebrities and action heroes and like big muscular people, you know, in a way. I, I had no idea what to expect. And, but it was such a culture shock when I did come here. And what did you find? I mean, you came to LA actually. And, and what, what, yeah. what, what did you see? What was the difference in what you expected? Yeah, it was it was it was uh, a a big culture shock because in Hong Kong it's more like Manhattan, you know, mm-hmm. where you can walk everywhere, take the subway everywhere. There's just it, it's a city built for people on a very condensed scale. Whereas LA is it's a city built for cars and you have to go everywhere in a car. You can't just walk down the street. There's nobody walking, you know. So it was very isolating in a way, kind of scary, but in a way I enjoyed like seeing green grass instead of just living in the concrete jungle. But it was definitely something to get used to. Even though LA is a big city, is very, very different from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought that was very interesting that you that you write in the book is that it's a different. The immigrant experience is so different for children than it is for the parents, for adults mm-hmm. in general. Right. What do you What do you mean by that? Well, because I mean, for me, I was worried about fitting in in school, learning the language, and things like that. But at the same time, you know. It took me a long time to realize my parents was going through different struggles. You know, my dad was a financial advisor and he needs to, you know, somehow wrangle clients in a city that he's only been in for for, for a couple months, you know, and my mother has a language barrier and it's harder for older people to learn English. So she was having a hard time finding her creative friends. And my brother, uh, he's five years older. So when he came here, he's much more, I guess, um, He's much less inclined in assimilating to the American culture. He's more comfortable already in his own Chinese culture. So he would mostly hang out in Monterey Parks and Gabriel Valley, the very Chinese-heavy pockets mm-hmm. of um, L.A. And um, even though he was in America, most of his friends you know, that he made here were still Chinese. Whereas I was trying so hard to you know, be um, as American as I could as a 13-year-old kid. I listened to hip-hop. You know, I watched football. And, 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 you know, it's a different type of assimilation, I think, depending on what age you are. Right. Um, did it work watching, you know, listening to hip hop and watching football? (laughs) In a way, I think it it did. Mm -hmm. Um, I I saw America and I assimilated towards America in a very surface level Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And that's how I survived in school, you know. Um, I remember, like, for example, in high school, if you didn't watch a Chappelle show on a Wednesday, you ain't got nothing to talk about on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. So that 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 was how I assimilated, like, and, and a lot through um, BET Rap City and all that. That was the cool stuff. So I just wanted to be a part of it. And then, you know, later on, you, you find yourself what your voice is, what you're about. But that wasn't until, I think, maybe even after I graduated college. So in the beginning, it was just very much... Um, assimilation through um, imitation, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I moved around a lot, lots of different, you know, countries and everything. And w- one of the things I clearly um, felt was that I was sort of outside everywhere and still feel mm. that way a bit. <laughs> Every, yeah. Did you feel that? How did you sort of feel later about Hong Kong? Yeah, I, I think... When you're an immigrant, you do feel like an outsider. You feel like this is not your country. You're just kind of visiting and you're glad that people are giving you an opportunity. And then years down the line, you're like, wow, I've actually been in America more years than I've lived and grew up in Hong Kong. This is my home now. But still, 
you feel a little foreign, you know, and you still feel like, like, say I'm, I pick up the phone when I'm hanging out with my friends and it's, it's my parents calling and I'm speaking to them in, you know, Shanghainese or Mandarin or something like that. It just like, there's almost a little bit of embarrassment. It's like, I, I need to go in a corner and talk to them. So my friends don't make fun of me. Um. And then eventually you get, you actually become proud of yourself and, and hopefully you get to this point where, you know, um, you, you become proud of your own culture beyond just being an American, but what, wherever you came from. Right. And I think shooting this crazy rich Asians movie, like really helped me in that process, meeting all these great actors, director from, from different walks of life, but everyone was Asian, you know, like we got two or three Australian Asians and then British Asians and local Singaporean Asians, but everybody was so much on the same page culturally. Mm-hmm. We all love the same food. We all talk to our parents and respect our parents in a certain way that I didn't feel like I have to explain myself. Right. And of course, that movie shot in Singapore. So that gave me the opportunity to go back to Hong Kong actually for the first time for 17 years since I came here. Oh, wow. To America. How was that? It was a pretty amazing experience. It just felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulder. It just felt in a way peaceful that I was just a person there. Like mm-hmm. everybody is my creed in a way. And, and, and there's something so liberating about that. I didn't have to carry around a story like, oh, hey, I'm Asian and I came here when I, you know, when I was 13, blah, blah, blah. It just, this is, this still felt like home. Like, you know, I walked in the restaurant and just ordered in Cantonese and, you know, nobody asked me, yo, where you from? You know, or I hey, no, seriously, where you originally from? Like mm-hmm. none of that. It just, I was, I was part of the people. And, and it felt good. It's good to know that, you know, even after being here for so many years, there's a place where I can always go back and it still felt like home. Right, right. Um, and another part of your book that's fantastic is all the stuff about your dad, who, who really is very supportive in his own way. But one of the things he said to you is that pursuing your dreams is how you become homeless. Um, tell me a little bit about, about him and how he, how he saw you pursuing your, your comedy and acting career. I, th- I think that's a very real thing in uh, uh, Asian cultures, especially like it's it's they they lean on the side of uh being pragmatic you know instead of being like dreamers i think uh in in asian culture like they they want parents want their kids to be to have a real job like quote unquote real job a lawyer a doctor you know finance um banking something like that where it's tangible to them uh growing up my dad always told me yeah pursuing your dreams how you become homeless like he actually said that and he's like, you know, like being an artist is, is how you starve. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, and, and it's to no fault of his own because growing up, he grew up during like the communist revolution. Right. It wasn't an option. He didn't have the luxury to be an artist if he wanted to, to pursue his dreams. He just wished that he could have went to like a legitimate college and got the degree he wanted. You know what I mean? So when he gave us that opportunity, me and my brother, when we came to America and we did go to college and we did graduate a legitimate college. And then I quit my job in finance to do stand up. Understandably, he'll be disappointed and worried. You know, I think it's more worried that led to disappointment. Right, and, right. and eventually, you know, when I landed, I think Silicon Valley, it's just, OK, this is actually a job like he's financially stable and and that's he's that's okay. all they care about yeah yeah they just want they, they they just want the best and 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 
and and and for us to be safe, I think. But when you quit that finance job and after you'd gone to college and didn't, you know, you studied a lot and everything. Did you did you think a lot about him and did you feel guilty and like, oh my god, or or did you just think, oh, I'm going for it? I try to block it out because you gotta you gotta live for yourself at some point, right? That right. was, I guess, my quiet rebellion, in a way. You know, some kids curse out their parents for me. I just quit my job. You know. <laughs> So, um, cause, cause I, I mean, it, it was tough. It was tough on him. I'm sure it was, it was tough on me to have to know that going in that, you know, that's, that's not making him happy and it's worrying him. Okay. Uh, and my mother, not, not just my father, you know, probably my extended family too, uh, thought I went crazy, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I wrote about this in the book too. I always thought it was better off to disappoint my parents for a few years than to disappoint myself for the rest of my life. Right. I just couldn't see myself sitting behind this desk and settling and, and never pursuing, you know, anything um, for for a lifetime. That, 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 that was way more scary to me than, you know, disappointing my father. But you did start as many other actors struggling um, to become a working actor. And one of your jobs was a stripper DJ, yeah. which I'm sure. I'm not, not a sure. stripper. No, not a, a stripper. Stripper, DJ. stripper yeah, DJ, yeah, yeah. Um, to be yeah. clear. Um, I'm not sure if your your parents knew about that job. But what I just am curious about, what is the most common tracks that you would spin as a stripper DJ? Oh, um, girls, 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 mm-hmm. you know, cherry pie, like the classics. And then, you know, a lot of hip hop. That, that, that's what I knew. And whatever the girls wanted, and I think that was, what year was that? That was um, 2010 or so. So Jeremiah had just came out with his debut album, and he got a lot of great songs um, that was perfect for the strip club, you know. So, uh, and a lot of Southern, like, um, Southern Dirty South stuff, like Lil John, stuff like that. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun time. <laughs> you enjoyed it. To some degree, I enjoy the thought that I've done it and it's, you know, it's like a bucket list thing, I guess, in a way. Right. But at the end, like like through that chapter I was talking about in the book, like there's literally a chapter called How to Strip Club DJ. Right. And 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 it's a very big turning point in my life where I realized, oh, wow, I wish I always wish that my life was like a music video. But then when you actually try to, you know, be a strip club DJ, like go into like this like underground of things, it's not that glamorous. Like, you know, I was just a stupid person that thought this was cool, but everybody that was working there was actually just like criminals that had no choice but to work there. And and it was pretty sad to get a behind the scenes look and that really sobered me up. Yeah. And yeah. propelled me to, you know, pursue something else. I have to say you say that it was like you you saw it as a job or, or you a glamorous I before reading your book I mean I realized that there was music when there was strips but I didn't realize that stripper DJ was actually a job that people were you know wanting to have the real job it's, yeah. a, it's a real gig yeah and then you finally landed the a role on the incredible Silicon Valley um, such a well-written show by Mike Judge who actually went to your same um, college yeah, tell, me a little, tell me a little yeah. bit about how you research for that role, because there's a lot of tech and it's a very specific role. Did oh, you do a lot of research? For Jing Yang's role, um, I knew this guy very well. Yeah? Uh, this character, I felt like, because uh, he was like the lost immigrant kid that I was, you know, when I first came to America. So I know his quirks and, and, and a lot of stuff like that, I, I like accents, words that I took from myself when I was younger and took from my mother my father you know so so it's it's somebody i knew well it wasn't just like 
a random character I came up with a thin air. I felt like I lived this guy's life just 10 years ago. Um, and then I, I, as the show progressed, as Jing Yang got more stuff, actually, the past two seasons um, in the offseason, I always try to go visit Silicon Valley. And we got great, these great consultants, you know, VCs, you know, um, and uh, uh, startup guys and all, all, all these great people that I've been introduced to and, and they've been showing me the ropes, you know. So, uh, yeah, now it's more like doing a tech research, understanding what's going on and, and, and how things actually work like. The Not Hot Dog app that we actually built last year, right? You know, from the show, you know, I get to learn about uh, you know TensorFlow and uh, machine learning and all that great stuff from uh, our great tech consultants. And and for me, like that, that's I'm always curious about that stuff. So it's just been a great, fun educational process and an acting job at the same time. You've now said that you're um, you're going into you're going to be playing the main asshole. What's that like <laughs> playing an asshole? <laughs> I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a part of us that, or at least a part of me, that just want to not care about what people think. Who wouldn't? You know, and 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 right, and 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 just do whatever you feel like, and and that's kind of how Jing Yang lives his life, and it's so liberating in a way. He doesn't he doesn't care. He doesn't care to even simulate. He's like, yeah, I'm from China, so what? Fuck you guys. You know, that's kind of like his attitude, and 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 it's great. It, it's it's it, it's pretty cool. I wish I was like that when I was 13. You know, so um, I love playing parts where it's not exactly myself, but it's a part of myself that, you know, I kind of want to be. Right. You were mentioning um, that he has an accent. Mm -hmm. Does that bother you? Are there sort of cultural stereotypes that um, you've turned down roles or that bother you in any way? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's some stuff, you know, and I what would consider that it's just, I, I, I think for me, it, it, you know, I try to judge it by the material. Silicon Valley is such a well-written show, whereas certain other shows and movies are just not well-written. I just try to look at the material for what it is. Is it good or is it not good? And then the second thought is, is it good representation or bad representation? And, um, you know, hopefully, I, I get it. it. It's the accent, it's, it, the, that whole discussion, I think, so in a way ridiculous because I was somebody with an accent. I still kind of have an accent, you know? And there are a ton of people with an accent out there. Our job as actors should never to be judging the character, but to humanize this character and make him three-dimensional and hopefully the material calls for that, you know? Um, so it's kind of frustrating at times, like when instead of people looking at me as like, oh, is he funny, is he not? Uh, is he a good actor or is he a bad actor? Instead of looking at the craft, they're looking at representation, like, am I being a good agent or a bad agent? So as an artist, that's a bit frustrating. But I get it, because there's only a few of us, and representation really matters, mm -hmm. right? And and who is judging you, would you say? The internet, everyone, other yeah. Asians, yeah. you know? Um, uh, I've, I've talked with my other fellow Asian actors, and, and everybody kind of gets these, you know, tro internet trolls and stuff like that, and critics, you know, in front of their keyboard doesn't bother me too much and 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 really at the end of the day if we have a bigger spectrum of asian actors or just diverse actors in general we wouldn't be having this discussion then there'll be room for me to play an immigrant because those people exist and they do need representation and there's room for me to play you know uh, a hunk right like like uh right. A, a, every woman's boyfriend or something that doesn't have an accent necessarily or a hunk that is an immigrant you know so i think that's what crazy rich asian is doing 
which mm-hmm. hopefully will be a huge step for us. It's so liberating to be part of that movie because I can just focus on my character, focus on being funny and playing this character because there's a whole spectrum of us, right? right. That, you know, Henry's taking a romantic lead and I can just be silly and crazy on the side. And it's you getting all of that representation, not just from one person, but from the whole cast. And, and that was a, it's a, it was a great feeling. And, and I think it's going to do a lot for us. So tell me about Crazy Rich Asians. For those who have never read the book or heard of it, what's it about? Well, it's about this girl, Rachel Chu, who's a professor at NYU, falls in love with this boy, Nick Young, but has no idea he's actually one of the most eligible bachelors coming from a billionaire family, one of the most important families in Singapore. So she goes back to meet uh, to Singapore to meet his parents for the first time, and there's a lot of rejection of classism of generational rejection from uh, his mother and things like that. So the themes are extremely universal, you know, uh, and the movie is absolutely beautiful. I think instead of thinking of like an Asian movie, I think John really took us into like a world that's like Middle Earth or like Westeros. It's a beautiful, beautiful scenery uh, that everyone can enjoy. So your family is rich? We're comfortable. That is exactly what a super rich person would say. These people aren't just rich, they're crazy rich. Now you really should have told me that you're like the Prince William of Asia. That's ridiculous. Much more of a Harry. <laughs> Mom, this is Rachel Chu. She just thinks you're some like unrefined banana. No, no, no. Uh, those are a few fingers. Yellow on the outside, or white on the inside. Another breath. I know this much. You will never be enough. If Nick chose me, he would lose his family. And if he chose his family... He might spend the rest of his life resenting you. It's the first um, Hollywood studio movie with a full Asian cast in 25 years since the Joy Luck Club. So culturally, it is also very important. Um, but at, at the same time, it's just a great movie. And, and that's wrong, why we're having so much. Yeah, 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 in a way. Yeah, With it's the a incredible culturally significant rom com. Absolutely. She is so good. Oh, my God. So good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so how, um, how do you think crazy rich Asians will make an impact? Well, it's what I talked about. It's the representation that, that, you know, it's a full spectrum of us. You get to see a whole world of us. And at the same time, it's, it's called crazy rich Asians, but at the same time, the movie is such a universally themed movie. It's very relatable, you know, with the family issues. Everybody has had a crazy, um, ex-girlfriend you know everybody got that you know very overbearing mother-in-law and you got to deal with your mother like is it choosing your own life generationally or or choosing you know your family's life so all the themes are so universal i think that's make what makes the movie so great yet it's normalizing you know asian people being the leads and and carrying our own movie so hopefully in the in the landscape and business side of things even that we can just if this movie does well, we can just make have the opportunity to make more authentic, diverse stories. And Hollywood would take chances on that. Asian stories or other diverse stories that comes from an authentic place and cast it authentically. And I think that's what's important. Right. Well, I, I think it will definitely do that. Um, I Just on a, on a serious note, the... Right now, with this administration and also sort of scary winds that are blowing over here in Europe with the immigrant experience, I think it's a bit different from even though you're not that old, but from from when you came. Um, how can we help? How, how what do you see the situation um, for a young 13 year old coming in today? Man, for me, it, it, it's hard. I, I think we got to do what we do best, right? 
for me, it was telling my story, mm-hmm. you know, or using comedy, using acting, and using my writing to share my story and and normalize and humanize the immigrant experience. Because so so often it's a political issue, you know, with immigrants um, that you see on CNN with four talking heads arguing, but they're not really putting faces to the story and really telling a truthful story. So that's a main reason why I wanted to write the book is to just whimsically chronicle my own immigrant experience so people can relate to it. When the 13-year-old kid or 15-year-old kid come to this country, they can read this book and be like, oh, I felt the same way. This dude felt the same way. And he, he came out okay, you know, and, and, and hopefully that, that will give them something to look forward to and, 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 and feel a little bit more normal about themselves and seeing movies, seeing themselves represented on screen like Crazy Rich Asians, hopefully will make them feel a little more normal. Well, and thank you for telling your story to me as well. But you've, you've written a book now. You've gotten your huge in comedy, TV star, movie star. What's next for you? I think it's, it's a constant process of creating, you know, creating something that's authentic to me, writing stories that's authentic to me, and maybe turning a book, the, the, the book eventually into a movie or a TV show or something like that. Okay. That's something I'm excited about, you know. And finally, um, are your parents proud now? I think so. I finally made it in the Chinese newspaper. Yes. So, 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 so that counts as something. Jimmy, thank you so much for your time, and I wish you so much luck with Crazy Rich Asians and everything else. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Jimmy O. Yang. Again, his memoir is called How to American, an Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. Crazy Rich Asians premieres in the U.S. on August 15th in September here in Sweden, and you can check your local listings for the premiere dates wherever you are. And you can catch Silicon Valley on HBO. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. Please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. You can get all our contact details on popcultureconfidential.com or just contact me through Twitter. That's at podpopculture. Looking forward to hearing from you. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and please give us a rating. That's great. That helps other people find the show. This show was edited by Tom Hansen and produced by myself. I'm Christina Jarling-Biro. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.